We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Okay, so I'm going to tell the other side of it. So my message was on... I was talking about the different roles of the men and the women, the way that God created us to function as a team, as a unit, and how God created men with position power because of just the origination of creation, and how he created women with influence power because we know God uses us to influence. And so just as I began to talk about how influential women were, he snuck out. And so I'm like, we massively influenced him, and he just could not take it anymore. And that was the first time we actually had dinner with him on Thursday night, and he was very quiet. And my husband asked me, he said, is he, you know, what do you, you know, because we hadn't really got to meet. I'd met Brandy before, and we had talked, and I said, he's really quiet. So it was fun because I got to harass him, and I actually got him to laugh, and then that's just where it started. So sometimes those um, getting mad and leaving because someone's speaking the wrong, you know, the right thing, that's what it takes. But no, um, I'm just going to set this down here so it's not wobbly and stuff. But yes, um, I'm going to reintroduce myself because some of the women that were here yet, who was, all, who was here this weekend, yesterday? Oh my gosh, a lot of you. All right, so um, but yes, I, my name is Sabrina Clausen. I am from Weatherford, um, Oklahoma. And God connected us last, with this church last year. And it was last August. I was coming out to see my dad. That's my dad and my mom and my Aunt Jane. And that whole row right there I'm kind of related to all the way down. And um, I had come down to see him, and Lacey had been listening to some of my, I have a YouTube channel, she'd be listening to some of my messages, and she said, if you ever come to, you know, to Brookhaven, let me know, I'd like you to speak, and I said, well, that's funny, because I'll be there Monday, and so it just kind of happened, and that's where the connection started, and it's just, it's been amazing, this time I was able to come, last time I had my kids, this time I was able to bring my daughter in the, that's my daughter, um, and a team with me, I've got Pam, and she's been with me from the very beginning. And then Linda, that's my best friend. She has, she's stuck. There's no getting out of it. Um, she's tried, and she got brought back. Just, you know, God does that. But um, I do, I have been married um, for 25 years. Um, I got married at the very young age of 17 and a half. Um, during my spring break, my senior year, my mother was trying to move me to another town. And I said, I cannot leave. I've been in this school since the seventh grade. So we moved our wedding from summer to spring and got married. And um, so my daughter's 21. Um, my son, I have an 18-year-old son that um, is, he's amazing. Um, I didn't have him pull pictures back up today, but he is fixing to graduate high school. And he started drag racing as soon as he got his truck at 16. So he has taught this mom how to just relax and let life happen because I was a mess. I think when I was trying to record his first race, I'm like, you know, you're like shaking and you're recording because it's just, that's your baby out there, you know, but he has, he's taught this mama a lot. So don't think your kids can't teach you anything. Um, I have been in ministry. I was called into the ministry in 2003. I was, um, I received Christ into my life at the age of four and all I've ever known in my life is God. So my son he gets really irritated with me because he says, I can't speak outside of that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I do not know how to. I mean, it's, it's so hard for me to have conversation outside of, of Christ. Um, I try to, but it's hard. Um, this weekend, we talked about, I kind of did a series, and this is something that I've been teaching in my church. And we started off with just our position of how God created us 
not only as women, but even for women, how we need to submit underneath the leadership of the head, which is the man. Um, and the man submits under the head, which is Christ. And so we talked about that. And then we went into the importance of understanding that we can't change a culture and we can't be who, who God called us to be until we can understand his love. Not only his love for us, but his love for others. And that his love isn't judgmental, it's unconditional, no matter what. Um, and so this morning, what we're going to be talking about in the last part of this, it's going to have to stay up here, um, is holiness. This is something that God began a journey inside of me probably back in December in the midst of all of the other stuff. And he really started messing with me in the sense of passion, how the church has lost passion um, in the area of glory. Because whenever, you know, we, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I know for me, I, I, my, my inner man cries out to see signs and wonders and miracles happen again in the body to see the the church of acts come back into into the fruition of today's world how else are we going to get people that cannot believe unless they see how are we going to get them you know then to then to let them actually witness things that christ can do and so that is my desire is to do is to see that happen again and that only happens through his glory manifesting on this earth through us um and so um, one of the scriptures that's been so, so, so dear on my heart over the last couple of years has been Romans 8, 19. And that scripture says that if, that the, that the earth, the actual earth is groaning from the inside. It's groaning for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of Christ. It's literally waiting. And that word revelation there is actually the word apocalypse. And I love that because the world has taken apocalypse and turned it into something negative, something fearful, something that we're scared of. But the word of God says that's what the world's waiting for. And that apocalypse is the revelation, the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of Christ. That's us. That's not the church like this building. That's us. I love that you said that. It's crying out for us. It's ready for us to find our place. It's ready for us to find out who we are so that we can go out and make a difference in this world. So that's kind of the focus that we're going to be going to today. I do want to let you guys know that... Um, I let the women know that we're here this weekend, and I'll just let everybody else that's here um, know this. I am not a sugar coater. Um, I truly believe that, you know, Peter was very adamant when he said that when a teacher is, um, when you're teaching the word of God, that if you're not willing to walk it out and you're not willing to, to um, preach it the way it's supposed to be preached, that it actually can be considered false teaching. And a false teacher is held at very high standards. Um, and I don't want to be that. And so when I break down the word, I break it down. I get into the very depths of the Hebrew and the Greek, and I study it out, and I don't teach it until I know it. And so um, just know that, that um, I'm not, please don't think I'm here to bring any, you know, to offend anybody. Like he said, it's a house that doesn't, we're not going to walk in that. But sometimes the way the word comes across, it can be hard. And so, you know, you relate your grace and your truth or grace, truth and truth and love equals grace. I'm not really sure our pastor says that all the time. He's always reminding me of that. You got to mix them, you know, so, um, so you do, you know, but I am a, a truth teacher and that's all I will teach. Um, so, um, one of the things that I have noticed, like I said a minute ago, is that the church of God, the body of Christ, that's all of us that we've literally lost, become less and less passionate for the things of God. Um, one of the things God began to speak to me was that when we lose our passion for him, 
we lose our influence in this world. And yes, women are created with influence power, but men are created to influence also. We all influence somebody in our lives, whether it's our children, whether it's our spouses, whether it's somebody we work with, whether it's somebody that we, you know, we just spend time with, whether we pass by somebody on the street. One of the questions I asked the women yesterday, we were talking about our love walk. I said, if a blind person was to meet you, not see you, if they were to meet you, would they be able to tell through your speech that you're a child of God? And if a deaf person was to see you, would they be able to tell you were a child of God through your actions and just the way that your body language spoke because they watch that stuff. And so that's something that we have to be really, really particular about in watching that. Um, don't lose that passion for Christ. And I think that's what the earth is groaning for is for us to regain that again and for him to just bubble up out of the inside of us and just release it. Um, in Isaiah 59, it talks about that, it, you know, God's talking to Isaiah, the prophet, and he's telling him, he said, justice has fallen in the streets. I mean, there's no justice anymore. He said, I can't find a single man to stand up for me. And he turns around and he tells Isaiah says, so then what he did was God said, I will put on my right, the righteous, I will put on righteousness as a breastplate. Righteousness is, is embedded in holiness. He said, I will put on the helmet of salvation. That word salvation there is Yeshua. It is victory and liberation. So he says, I'm going to put on holiness. I'm going to gird my mind with the mindset of victory and liberation. And then he says, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to put on the garments of vengeance because he's tired of the enemy coming in and taking his people. And then he's, clad, he's going to clad himself with zeal, which is passion, as a cloak. So after he gets all dressed, he puts that cloak of passion on and he goes out into the streets and he took care of business. And that's what he's calling us to do. It's time for the church to rise up. God was passionate about justice. And one of the things I've asked our church our, when I, whenever I've taught is, why aren't we passionate anymore? We've become so okay with the mundane. So okay. Um, in John 2, 14 through 17, I decided it's much, much easier to use my phone than flip glasses off and on my face. So we're just going to go there. John um, 2... 14, and it's going to come from the NET because my New King James isn't coming up for some reason. So it's talking about Jesus. It says, he went and he found in the temple courts those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers sitting at the tables. So he made a whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple courts with the sheep and the oxen. He scattered the coins, threw the tables over scattered the coins to those who sold the doves he said take these things away from here do not make my father's house a house of a marketplace or some versions say a den of thieves um his disciples remembered at that point they remembered you have to remember these guys were very well versed in the old testament the first five books he said they remembered that it was written zeal for your house will devour me or zeal for your house has consumed me and as I read that, you know, Jesus, when he went in there, it wasn't the sense that they were selling things in the church. What they were doing was the money, the money changers in the marketplace, people would go into the church and they would up the price because they knew nobody could go in without a sacrifice. So they would, instead of, if people couldn't buy it on the streets, they would come in and they would jack up the price on the people so they became thieves. They were, they were stealing from people to get what they wanted and it made Jesus angry. And so that's what he took care of. And it said that the passion, the zeal for the house of God or for God's purpose, took over Jesus and I believe in that passion is where that whip came from and those cha those tables went thro were thrown over you know because we can we can come at things with that passion I call it kind of call it a uh, righteous anger but when someone's doing something against your God you can take care of it 
you know, just don't be, don't sin in your anger. You know, and that's exactly what the word is saying. So Jesus was so passionate about his father's business. And because of that, he did so many things. I mean, the, the, one of the disciples, I think it's John, records that if he was to record every sign, wonder, miracle that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough paper in the world to contain it because he did so much. So they had to literally pick and choose what he had done. And so if Jesus was that passionate and he's living inside of each one of us, why aren't we? Why are we allowing things in the body of Christ to go wrong? Why aren't we stepping up and doing what we're called to do? Um, all of the disciples are recorded in Scripture and that, um, that they perform signs and wonders and miracles and, and things of that sort. They were literally, the disciples were willing to go to the stake. They were willing to be taken and a stake drawn through their bodies. They were willing to be hung on crosses upside down. They were willing to have their bodies boiled in water. They were willing to do whatever it took to get the gospel out. What happened to our passion? That is the question God began to ask me back in December. So that's a deep thing to think about, a really deep thing. As I began to really ask him about this and get on my face personally, um, one of the things he told me was he said that in order to um, see that passionate fire come back, the church needs to once again experience his glory. Because we're so busy, we talked about this yesterday, we're so busy doing and doing and doing that we're forgetting to go back to the basics of what he called us to, which was his glory, to be his glory on this earth. And that's Jesus Christ. The word glory, we're, like I said, I am a teacher, so we're going to break things down off and on. I'll kind of preach, teach, preach, teach. We'll kind of go in between that. Um, the word glory in the Old Testament is the word kavod. Okay? That is the weighty presence of God. That is where... You know, you know the presence of God lives and dwells on the inside of us. When we become saved, when we, receive, when we believe in Jesus Christ and we receive him into our lives, our spirit man's made new, okay? It's, and so we've got him inside of us. But there comes times that the glory of God or his manifested presence will actually, it'll actually fall on us. It'll kind of become manifested in the surroundings of where we are. Um, you hear about people saying they literally, I mean... I don't know how many of y'all have ever been hooked up with like Bethel Church or any of those from California, but they talk a lot about, you know, they literally sense the, the glory cloud coming into the room whenever God begins to move, you know, and when the glory hits, when, literally when God's glory manifests itself, that's when the limitations of our earthly mindset leave and we can literally be who God called us to be. That's when things are healed, that cancers fall off, limbs are grown back, people are raised from the dead, things begin to happen. That's when you see that. And that's what God's calling the body back to. One of the best examples that I can give you guys to understand the kavod, the, the weighty presence of God, is this. Okay, so say I was to tell you that somewhere in this room there was a millionaire. You would know there was a millionaire there, right? I mean, there's a millionaire in this room. You'd be like, well, okay, their presence is here. But you have no clue who it is, correct? But say the millionaire was to get up and he was to start coming over and he was to start handing you out money. His presence is now known and things are now happening. That is the best description that I could give you guys of what it means to see the manifested presence of God begin to move. Um, so when he began to tell me all of this, it was, it was actually very overwhelming. You can ask my friends. I mean, I became very quiet. Um, I was very withdrawn. I was spending probably, I'm not going to say too much time in in prayer, but I was, um, I quit going to the gym. I was a 5 a.m. workout every day. God told me, I felt like God told me, 
could have been laziness. I'm not really sure. But I really felt like he told me, I want your mornings. Because I'd go to the gym, I'd come home, I'd shower, I'd go about my day. And I felt like he told me, I want your mornings. So I quit the gym for a period of time. And every morning I would wake up at the same time I would normally go to the gym. And I would go to my prayer room and I would just get on my face. And sometimes, sometimes I was in there for two or three hours, you know. And because I was like, I want to know this. I want to know this, you know, and know you, God. Um, but he kept telling me, I want to pour it out. I want to pour out the more. I want to give. I want, I mean, God is a giving God. He wants to give us more. But he said, but the body of Christ just isn't ready for it right now. He said, my sons and my daughters, he said, they're not ready. Their hearts aren't pure before me. And of course, your, your first thought in your mind is, well, what are we doing wrong? Are we sinning too much? Are we, you know what I mean? Is that not what you think of when you think of pure? But that's really not what he's, what he's talking about there. What he was saying is they're not seeking me. You know, that doesn't mean they're out living a sinful lifestyle, but they're not giving me everything. They're not in full surrender right now. They're still in, in me mode, and it's time to come out of that. And that really, really, you know, it just kind of, oh, that got me because I don't want to be that, and I was that. Um, and so I really felt like, he was telling me that if we, could, if we could come to this place and allow him to call us back into this place of holiness, back into his presence and back into, like, have you all ever, has anyone in here ever um, gone through a period of time where, like, you just seem like you can't get enough of the Bible? Okay, or you're like walking around and you're just like, man, I wish I could find time to just pray. You like have this deep desire to just get on your knees and pray or just to, you know what I mean? Just that, that I call that a wooing. I feel like sometimes that's God kind of wooing you in. He's like giving you this desire, this hunger, and, and we have the option to heed it or we have the option to ignore it. And what he's saying is it's time for the body of Christ to heed that wooing and to come back into him and just to let him come in and just consume us. And I believe with all of my heart, that is where I will say this over and over and over until I see it manifesting, that is where we will see things begin to happen. Um, one of the things I even said yesterday is, uh, we were talking about it, well, I was actually talking to my husband about it, was that, um, you know, the first thing most people say when you talk to him about somewhere where you're speaking, well, how big is it? That's the first thing a lot of people ask you. Well, how big is it? You know, and we talked about this yesterday. That is something, it's not the size of a church that turns me off in the sense of big, but how on earth can we become un a unity, walk in unity, bless you, and walk in a family and how can how can we work together as a team in a church of 7,000 people how do we do that you know it doesn't the size of what we have in front of us doesn't matter God wants to work with what he's got here this little 12 disciples changed a world what could God do with this if we would surrender and allow him to fully come in and encompass every single part of us what could he do with that one woman, the woman at the well, um, the Samaritan woman, they, her actual name was Potini. Jesus took the time to speak to her. We were talking about the ones. He took the time. He actually went through Samaria. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They were forbidden to go through Samaria. And then if, even if they, they talked to a Samaritan or they, um, because of the culture, if they were even to drink from the same cup as a Samaritan, they were considered unclean and were no longer allowed in the Jewish culture. And Jesus told his disciples, I have to go through Samaria. And that's his words. I have to go. And his disciples were like, but we go all the way around Samaria. We don't go through Samaria. I have to go. He stopped at a well, spoke to a woman who he was forbidden to sp speak to, 
And that one woman was the first Samaritan evangelist that changed an entire Samaritan nation. One person can change a ton. It's not about the numbers. That's what we have got to do. And so I, I want to see the body of Christ just begin to see that and that it's not about gathering in a building. It's about going out and changing a world. In the midst of this, this is where we're going to get into most of the teaching. God began to take me to Peter. Justin and I started this conversation the other day, and I said, now I know I was supposed to bring this word because I fought it, and I fought it, and I fought it. Because I was just like, do I really? Am I, God, you really want me to take this? And he kept telling me. We, we started talking. I'm like, what? You're, you, same thing? You know, and then I, I was like really fired up by then. Um, but two of my most favorite disciples, I would say, were Paul and Peter. The reason that Paul is is because he was a man of passion. Paul literally was so passionate that no matter what he was doing, he did it with everything that he had. When he was killing Christians, he did it with everything that he had. But when he was converted, he did it with everything that he had. There was nothing stopping him on either way, right? Nothing. I always think back to um, when I was reading one time, and it says that when Stephen was being stoned to death, Paul was a young man standing there with Stephen's cloak over his arm just watching. And because religion had taught him this was okay, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, oh my gosh, I can't wait to do this. I cannot wait to persecute the Christians because they, they don't, they're wrong. You know, they're teaching our God wrong because that's what they thought. And then he's on the road, I believe it's to Damascus. <laughs> we had this conversation this morning. I was like, did I say the right road? Um, on the road to Damascus and Jesus knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, and then the man is, whew, he's gone. After three and a half years of spinning, sitting underneath of the apostles' teachings. He was a man of passion, and I love that. Peter and I relate a lot to each other. Um, Peter, <laughs> Peter was, um, of course, you guys know he was a fisherman. Fishermen were not known as real holy people, right? Um, I was reading an article um, as I was preparing for this study, and it said that most of your fishermen back in the Jewish days were known for having pretty foul mouths, um, you know, just things of that sort. And yes, you know, it says that, that the Peter... <laughs> I am fishermen. Sorry. This was, back in, this was back in Jewish culture, not yours. But anyways, there were some pretty rough characters. We take it... We'll take it to the oil field now. We have any oil field workers here? Not here, right? Okay, so in Oklahoma, we have a lot of oil fields. Um, but anyways, so, um, but he was a pretty rough character. And it says in, in one part of, of um, Peter that the way Peter taught at one point, the people were astounded because he was unlearned. He was uneducated. So he wasn't educated. And so when he got called, you know, he was out there fishing and Jesus, you know, his brother comes and gets him and says, come and meet this man that I met. Because they were actually Peter and uh, Andrew were brothers, and I think Andrew, they were actually disciples of John the Baptist. And so Peter, um, he went and got Peter and said, come and meet the man, this man, you know, and then of course he introduces his brother, this is Simon, you know, Bar-Jonas, or I think I get, there's always these bar things on the ends of their names. Um, and so, you know, Jesus said, you know, oh, no, Jesus said, you are Simon Bar-Jonas, he said, but I call you Peter. And I've heard, heard teachings in the past, and I haven't been able to find it again where they got the meaning, but they say that Simon actually meant a reed as blowing in the wind. So Peter was just kind of like here and there and here and there, and, and he was like that up until his, his actual transformation. But Jesus stopped and said, this is who you used to be, but now that you're with me, I'm calling you Peter, which means the rock. 
And so that was a the beginning of his transformation. I'm a transformer. Can you hear it coming out? Um, but what I love about Peter was, um, you know, just even after... He, he was a man that he was prideful, but yet he was humble. He was arrogant, but yet he was not. You know, you got him. Um, at one point, Jesus is walking with him, and he's like, hey, Peter, so who do, who do people say that I am? And Peter was like, well, some say you're, you know, this, and some people say you're that, and some people, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And he said, well, I say that you are the son of God. And Jesus stopped, and he, I, I'm just imagining Jesus looking at him and saying, yeah. And on this revelation that you just got, this is how I'm going to build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. And he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in that, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom of God that no one can take away. What's happened? What has happened? God literally chose, or Jesus literally chose a man that was uneducated, that denied him three times, that cut a soldier's ear off, Jesus had to heal it back on, that was a fisherman that people looked down on because he, just because of the education and just because of the things of that sort. He chose the man that got the first revelation of who he was to build the church. And one of the things that really stuck out to me as I read that and as I studied Peter was that God told him, he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. What is our job on this earth? What does Jesus tell us our job is? When we're to pray, we are to pray. It's in Matthew. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So, yes, someday we're going to go to heaven or we're going to be reunited with Christ. That's going to be where we will be someday. But our job on this earth today is literally to usher in the culture of the kingdom of God into this earth. And even Revelations tells us, I think it's in Revelations 4, that when the cultures or the, the kingdoms of the earth become as the kingdom of God, then Jesus will reign. But we, our job is to do that. And Peter has the keys to it. And that's why I started studying Peter. It became a six-month study for me. I broke down every word. I even looked up every and, every the, just in case I was missing something. I broke down everything because I wanted to know what are we missing in the kingdom of God? What are we missing? And so one of the things, the main subject that I began to see as I studied through Peter was holiness. Everything he talked about was holiness. There's submission in holiness. In holiness, there's love. In holiness, there's unity. In holiness, there's all of these things. But everything he taught about came back to holiness. And one of the things, the other, I didn't mention this, and I'm going to, that I loved about Peter, the stories that I read about Peter, because he's the only disciple that it says this about, but that people, when Peter would go walking, people would literally bring their sick out and lay them in cots along the street so that as his shadow touched them, they were healed. That's walking in the shadow of God. That's walking in the glory, his glory literally weighing on us. That's walking in that. And that's what I told God. I want that. And it's not for me. I don't want it for me. But all I can imagine is 
like I said a minute ago, we have such a culture right now that if I can't see it, I don't believe it. That's why they're reaching out to so many occults and so many different things because it's this false power that the enemy is using to say it's, it's good, but it's a power that they can see. And the church has got to overcome that. It's got to start showing that power of Christ so that the people will quit reaching out to occults and to the satanic things of that sort and start reaching back and pressing into the God that created all power. And that, so that's one of the things, that, that's why I want that scene again. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all of your conduct. That conduct there is your conversation. It's in your turning and everything that you do. It's in your behavior, everything. It says to be holy because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. Our God is a holy God. And there's sometimes that, you know, I think we have forgotten that. You remember when Moses was out in the um, wilderness in the burning bush, you know, started burning and, and he heard the voice and it said, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. You know, I think sometimes we forget that, that the holiness that he, he had to walk into, it's here and we're called to it, you know, and so we should always be aware of that. Um. In the name of religion, and this is what kind of breaks my heart a little bit, in the name of religion, holiness has been so twisted. It has been so twisted. And I think because of that, because of the twisting in that, a lot of the churches have stopped teaching it because it is hard to understand. I mean, it really is to understand the depths of what it means to be holy. And when I mean twisting it, I'm talking about, you know, so many of your, your churches have, it, it's a, you have to do certain things to be holy. And that's not what God is saying at all. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Whenever I started doing this, studying this out, I really began to struggle with teaching it just because it's humbling, first of all. A lot of people aren't going to understand it at first. And God began to really show me. I had two men come to me after they heard me teach it the first time. And both of them said, both of them came to me with the same words. God said to tell you to take this word wherever you go, but expect persecution. And I said, okay, because persecution is, isn't just being hung on a cross or, you know, things of that sort. Literally, it's people not agreeing with you because somebody's got to bring the word back to the body when it comes to the true holiness of God. And so I told God, okay, I surrender. I'm yours. I'm your vessel. I will do it. You just keep my mindset so when persecution does come, I don't turn to the left or to the right, but I stay straight forward because I want to be that. I want to be his voice. Many of you here, like I said a while ago, many of you here do not know me very well. I have only three here that know me really, really well, and dad's never really listened to any of my teachings or any of that sort. I don't think he has. Have you? No, I think so. It's usually women's teachings, so I don't think he probably wants to go and listen to that. Um, but anyways, um, one of the things that I truly, truly believe in is that you don't preach it till you practice it. There's the practice what you preach, but in my heart, I believe you preach what you practice. And so anything I teach, anything I bring with our women, anything that I do in my church, any, anything, I don't bring it to the forefront until I've walked it. But the thing about holiness is it's something I'll be walking out the rest of my life because it's just part of renewing ourselves in him. And so, but just know that in the midst of me doing this, God has literally, he's taken me into such a deep place that he's actually revealed things and removed things. He's revealed people that don't belong in my life. He's removed people that don't belong in my life. 
Because there's people that are in our lives that it, there's come seasons that they don't belong there anymore. And so whenever that happens, we've got to learn it's okay to let go. We have to let go. And we have to know that whenever God is asking us to let go of something or someone, I mean, it's not just people, but even something that we're, you know, a job. Some, I mean, that, he's, that we're just dying to hold on to because what about the unknown? That he's saying, if you will let go, I've got more. And I love this picture that I saw on Facebook several weeks ago, but it was a little girl standing there with this little teddy bear. I don't know if any of y'all saw it. And Jesus is standing there with his hand out, but behind his back, he's got this monstrous bear. And she's just holding that bear like, you cannot have my bear. And I, it just made me think about how often is God like, I have so much for you. I just need you to give up what you've got. And I believe that's even in, even in people in our lives, you know, just things of that sort. There's times that he says you have to let go because where he's taken you, they can't go. There's different levels. Um, and it's not bad people. I'm not talking even just about bad people. I'm talking about even people that you've done, you've been like close, close to, but you're in a season that they don't belong right now. Okay? So in that letting go, that's the kind of things that God has done. Um, but going back to religion, you know, it's taken holiness and it's made it about rules. Okay? You see this a lot in um, different religions. You know, the hair, the makeup, the um, tattooing, drinking, you know, any of those things. You know, I studied the Bible extensively, and nowhere in there have I found, don't get mad at me, don't walk out, nowhere in there have I found that it says you can't have a beer or a glass of wine. It says don't be a drunk. That's what it says. You know, nowhere in the Word of God does it say you can't tattoo your body. Now, in Leviticus, it does say don't put the markings of the dead on your body. But actually, the tribes back in the Old Testament tattooed in their hands, I belong to God. So that when they were killed on the battlefields, they knew where they knew where to take them. You know, I mean, but but religion, I know my husband was raised in a very, very strong religion, very strong. Um, it was a Mennonite slash um, Jewish. It was, it was called um, Okania, but it was like a Mennonite Jewish something. It was in old Mexico, kind of Catholic mix. It was just like this mix of several different things. And um the women literally had to still, like, if you were married, you could only wear dark-colored dresses and a black uh, cloth on your head. If you were not married and had never been with a man, you wore light-colored dresses and white on your head. Um, they were uh, a lot like the Mennonite, you know, just how the Mennonite religion is. I was, I, uh, my, my brother is a, <laughs> he's a tattoo freak, and I remember him getting his first one, and I was like, oh, I want one of those. You know, but I was 30 years old before I got one because my husband wouldn't allow it. He would not allow me to have one. And I'm like, dang it. Finally, for my 30th birthday, my mom stuck me some money under my, she's like, here, go get your tattoo. I'm like, sweet, yes. You know, but just because of that, I, that, just that mindset that I know that my husband is my authority, I have to honor what he wants, you know. And, and so, but there's, but the religion, religion, you know, I couldn't wear shorts to his parents' house. You know, and if I wore short jeans, I got made fun of. You know, what's more, you can't afford clothes? You know, I mean, they're just, they're, there was so much religion there that you, I was so bound. And we moved to Georgia 10 years after we got married, and my husband was no longer in that religion, but we had to honor his family because of that. And 10 years after we got married, we ended up in Georgia, and you talk about freeing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there was no more of that over us. But because of that, when I heard holiness, I immediately went to a negative place just because of all of that. 
So God began to really, really, really change that in me. One of the things that he began to show me was that um, holiness, a lot of, from the Pharisees, her husband asked me at one point, he said, when did we get off? Like, when did the body of Christ actually get off from this holiness, from holiness? And I said, I believe it was back from the Pharisees. You know, they were um, so concerned about their outward appearance that Jesus actually, you know, everything was about religion to them, that Jesus actually went to him and he said, you are as beautiful as a whitewashed tomb. He said, but the inside of you is filled with dead man's bones. He said, it, literally, he told him, he said, um, it's filled, filled with distortion, self-indulgences, and uncleanness. So he was like, you're, you're beautiful, but there's, you're dead inside. You know, we were talking about the walking dead yesterday. They're not pretty on the outside, though, but from what I've seen. But, you know, but still being dead on the inside. But one of the things that, that you have to stop and remember is that a lot of times religion will take a, take a scripture out of the word and they'll build something around that scripture. And how many of you know that when you take the, you know, when you have, you have to go back to the context. So when you take that text out of the context, when you pull that out, just that one verse, it becomes a con. Because you have to go back, and you have to go back and surround it. What was he saying before? What's he saying after? What was the culture of that time? We were talking about First Peter yesterday about how he said that women shouldn't adorn themselves, or that not to only adorn themselves with jewels and, and things of that sort, to make it, make it inside. He didn't say they can't. They wore gold braided in their hair back then. I don't believe they had makeup back then, but they wore jewels like crazy. He didn't, he wasn't saying that. He was saying, let the spirit of God in you be more beautiful than the outside of you. But it's okay to fix, I mean, I wouldn't be up here if I couldn't do this. We'd, y'all, y'all wouldn't be watching me if I couldn't. I mean, it's just, it's okay. So, um, in Matthew 23, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees saying that the Pharisees had literally kept people from, the he from heaven, from the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't meaning they were keeping people out of heaven because there wasn't salvation yet because Jesus was still walking the earth, but they were literally keeping people from the kingdom of heaven. How many times did Jesus walk around saying the kingdom of heaven is among you? They were keeping people from him because they were so um, concerned with don't do this on the Sabbath, don't do this on the Sabbath, don't do this on the Sabbath. How dare you? Heal somebody on the Sabbath. That isn't what God would want. That's what they were about. I mean, it's like, hello, that's what God is. You know, so that's what they were literally keeping people from that. And then um, throughout, one, as I began to study that out, uh, one of the things I began to really look at was, you know, it wasn't the world that was against Jesus. It was the religious. It was the religious that killed him. It wasn't the world yelling, crucify him. It was the Pharisees and all of their followers. That's kind of an ouch, isn't it? How often do we, in the name of what we feel is right at the time, do we squash the kingdom of God and not allow other people into it? Jesus warned us all throughout his walk. He warned the body to be beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I believe that even in the church today, that is still a spirit that runs rapid. You know, leaven is, it's got that yeast, and the yeast goes in and it begins to, to just kind of grow, grow a little here, grow a little there. And if you don't have discernment, you're going to let it keep growing until it brings destruction. And the next thing you know, you're wondering what happened and you missed something. Beware of that. And um, 
But yeah, so I don't see anywhere in the word that it talks about where the Pharisees worked in signs and wonders. I don't. I've studied it extensively. I don't see anything. All I see is where Jesus was constantly rebuking them. You know, and so, and it only was because, it wasn't because they were necessarily bad people because everybody's a child of God that's breathed into creation, but they were keeping people from him because they were so consumed with their rules. And that is something we've got to let go of. So... One of the things God really began to speak to me about was that holiness is about a relationship with our Father. It is literally about getting in and getting deep and letting him, letting him fully have everything that we are. Full surrender. It is an internal posture. It's literally internal, and it is his character in us. I am. That's one thing that I teach over and over and over is how important it is to have the character of Jesus Christ inside of us walking as he walked the word tells us that those who know him will walk as he walked you know we're not out hurting people and and we talk, talked about it yesterday we're not bashing people on facebook one minute and posting god the next that's not god's character that's not how he works um and i believe that one of the things god has called me to is to help to rebuild this road of holiness in the body of christ again um it is an instinct in us from the time of our new birth but just like all of the other fruits of the Spirit, it has to be cultivated. It has to be taught. So I think sometimes we focus so much on teaching other things that we've forgotten to teach this part and walk in it. Um, just like we have to cultivate a prayer life and obedience and love and all of that stuff. When our internal posture lines up with God's heart, we will begin to see things happen again. We will begin to see it. So how does it happen? You know, how do we get back to this place? This is, so what you guys are hearing is my journey with God over the last several months, okay? My question to him, how? How do I get back to this, God? I need to know. Because if I'm going to teach it to the body, I have to, I have to be on this same path. And um, this is where we're going to go into some teaching time, okay? So holiness literally means to be consecrated. It means to be set apart for God, devoted and assimilated. So to be consecrated to God it means to be like in him and to just completely be in him. And we'll get to that in a minute. But one of the things that I'll put in here that I wanted to mention was that our Christian walk, whenever we start talking about being consecrated to God and, and salvation, you know, and things of that sort, so many people have such a false pretense of salvation. They think that as soon as they get saved, boom, life's going to be heaven on earth. But is there anybody that that's happened for? Nobody. Right? As soon as you get saved and you surrender and you give your life to God, it does it not seem like, honestly, all hell breaks loose? I mean, you're going to go. So I, two weeks before we were to come down here, I was like, oh, my gosh, what else could go wrong? You know, I mean, it was one thing after another after another. But usually whenever that stuff starts happening, that's a good time to step back and say, what did I do right? Okay, God, fuel me for the next. You know, cover me and give me strength. That's what he does. But... Because of religion, we've been taught, you go to church, put on your facade, be fake, let people know you're okay, even when you're literally dying on the inside. That's not God. We have got to quit being this, how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored, but in the inside, you're literally dying because of what's going on in your life. We've got to stop that. And one of the things, even as children of God, we've got to learn to discern that. I'll never forget. I'm going to use you for a minute. I never forget one time she came to church, and we hadn't been doing ministry for very long together, maybe two years. She comes in, and, and I was, I, 
you could sense it. Something wasn't right. And I said, what's going on today? And she's like, nothing. I said, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. She's one of the ones that says, I'm good. I'm good. And I said, no, you're not. Let's go. So we went back to the back room and, you know, we, I talked to her, laid hands on her. We prayed, but she was hurting inside. But because we're supposed to put on a fake face and wear our masks and be fake in church, no one's getting healed because they're taking it back home with them. And that isn't the way, the call that God called us to. It's not. And so that is kind of just a side thing. We've got to learn to let people know when we're hurting that it's okay. So to be consecrated in the Greek is to be made holy and pure internally by the renewing of our souls. And so when we are hurting and we are struggling and we need counsel, we need help, that's our soulish realm that's crying out for that. Okay, and so when we're hiding it, we're not letting it in. And so to be consecrated means to let God into that and let him draw out everything that's in and let him bring out a new creation. You know, let him put himself back in there. So this is a process. When Jesus was praying in John 17, he asked God to consecrate those who follow him. He said, for their sake, I consecrate myself. He said, so that they may be consecrated in truth, which is Jesus Christ. He said, he went on to say, I do not ask for these only, which were his disciples he was praying over. He said, but for all of those who will believe in me. That's us. That's all of us. So that we are one in him and he will give us his glory. That's what he says. Consecrate yourself so you're one with him and he will give you his glory. Jesus consecrated himself into his father as an example to us. It was, um, it was in the process from his childhood to the three and a half, or to doing three and a half years of, of ministry that he was able to give himself to Christ or to God, to his father. So walking in God's glory, he manifested his presence and then he turned around and he died for all of us. But it was in the consecration process with his father that he was able to carry out that mandate. And God's calling his church to a mandate that we can't carry out if we're not fully sold out and consecrated in him. We can't. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself consecrate and sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless as the coming of our, or at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.12, We are consecrated through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to be consecrated. John 17.17, 17, We are consecrated through the truth of his word. Jesus Christ is the truth. So how are we consecrated? By spending time, I don't have my Bible, but spending time in the word of God. That's the only way we're consecrated. John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So the more we study his life, his character, his actions, his words, the more we grow, the more we mature, we become more like him. We become saved. Then this veil, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, it talks about how when you get saved, there's a veil that's removed. So, you know, we can't blame the world for walking in darkness because they're veiled. We can't judge the world for being the world. But when you get saved and you walk in this church, I can now hold you accountable because your veil has been removed and you know the truth. And so we hold each other accountable in the body of Christ. That's another problem that has, has spiraled down. We say, oh, the, just, it's, it's okay. Let them just do what they're doing. It's them. You know, no, we hold each other accountable. We're accountable for each other's salvation. Um, but so that, anyway, so we're spiritually unveiled and we can now see. That's an internal transformation that takes place and it begins to reveal itself 
whenever we allow it to take place inside of us, it'll begin to reveal itself externally. So as we allow ourselves to be consecrated and renewed in Christ externally, all of that will begin to show. Every single bit of it. Um, this, so, okay. See, so when I get off my notes, I just mess up. So glory pours out of us when we become, um, when that external stuff becomes to come out of us. We begin to manifest him through power, authority, signs, and wonders, and that is being set apart in heart and in life. So the second step to be, you know, to walking in his holiness is to be set apart. We sing a lot of songs about being set apart. You sung one yesterday. I think it's your, your main song, right, that you sung yesterday? Or the one about the fire? Oh, God, I love that song. Um, but we are set apart. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, generation, blah, a people set apart, a holy people. We are set apart so that we can proclaim his light into the darkness surrounding us. So no matter where you are, you're at work, you're at home, you're in the bar, whether you are at the tattoo parlor getting your first tattoo, wherever you are, you're a light. My last, ta my last tattoo I had, I went and got one covered up because the first one was ugly. Um, me and the guy sat, sat in there doing it. He asked me what I did. I told him I was a Christian counselor. And we sat there and talked to God the entire time. And he was like, man, I, I need to do more of your tattoos so I can have counseling sessions. But it was kind of fun because I was able to speak into him and we just kind of went back and forth. Had I had done that, he may not have ever received what he needed to receive. You know, God will use you anywhere you're setting. You know, so just, so do what he wants you to do. Be set apart. Be that light. Um, to be set apart is to be set apart in our mind, our will, and our, and our emotions, which is our soul. So when we're set apart, our mind is, is set on Christ. Our will is going to constantly be following his will. It's not going to be following our own desires and own will. Am I running late? Oh, my God. Seriously? Okay. I only have 10 pages left. I'm, I'm kidding. I'll, we'll hurry. Okay. But anyways, okay, so whenever we are um, set apart in our mind, our will, and our emotions, we'll skip that part. All right, so... Thinking about Paul again, you know, Paul was one that he went out around and he said, whenever you're with the Jew, be as the Jews. Whenever you're with the Greeks, be as the Greeks. Whenever you're with the Gentiles, be as the Gentiles. Wherever you are, you be as that person. He knew how, whenever you're with a fisherman, be a fisherman. He knew how to be with those people without being of their culture. And that is, as Christians, how we need to be. You know, we've got to learn that. Um, to me, that's really strong in me because I have, been, I have sat in places and had people tell me they were escorted out of churches and told never to return because of either the way they were dressed or because they had tattoos on their body. And I about broke when one of our patients told me that one day. I had to go to the back hall at our office because I was working as a nurse at the time. And I, I almost cried. My boss was like, what is wrong with you? I said, I can't even, I can't even think straight right now. I wanted the number to the people. I wasn't walking in love very good then. I was like, give me the number. I'll take care of him. But I was able to witness to him and just talk to him about how our church, our pastor is a minority. You know, he's the only one he's scared of needles. But, you know, I'm like, he's a minority. You're welcome at our church anytime. You know, come and we are fully welcome at our church. Um, so we've got to learn that we are set apart and we aren't to be like the, be of the world or like the world. But however that's said, anyways, I'm thrown off now that I'm running late. You sang too long. Dang it. All right. So. 
thank you. Be in the world, but not of the world. I need someone to help me preach up here. All right, so what are we set apart in? We're set apart in our conduct. We're going to skim through this really, really fast. We are supposed to be set apart in our conduct, our conversation, our behavior, and our manner of life. That is something that God has called us to be set apart in. When we're talking with somebody, we should sound different. Whenever we're, you know, doing things with somebody, we should do things different. One of the things I always say is, even in the church, if you're truly set apart, everything's in excellence. Because God worked in excellence. Everything we do is done a, a different way when you're truly set apart with Christ. The third one is holiness is being devoted and assimilated to God. Devoted is giving over to the displaced study or discussion of. That means to be sold out, all in. You're in. Everything's done. You are devoted completely. To be assimilated means to become absorbed in and integrated into a culture. So that means to be caused to resemble. So to be holy means to resemble Christ, to be so absorbed in him that everywhere we go, we resemble his character in everything that we do. You know, and then you guys need to kind of listen to, you'll have to give the guys the last two messages so they can kind of put it all together and understand that since I have to go faster. Um, but just kind of being in that same heartbeat of God. So I just want to give you guys a few things whenever I think of Jesus Christ and his character and how we need to be assimilated and, and, you know, just absorbed into him. He forgave others. There was nothing he did not forgive. And God is the same way. He was unselfish. He walked in love. He was humble and bold. He spoke no deceit. When he was reviled against, he did not return it. How many times do we want to come back at somebody whenever they've accused us or they've brought something at us? He didn't return it. He just walked away. Wiped the spit off his face and kept going. Um, when suffering, he, didn't re he did not threaten people back. He was obedient to the Father and trusted himself to him, and he did not tolerate religion. He did not tolerate re religion. So because of his character and his surrender to the Father, Jesus also walked in the power over all of the enemy. He walked in so much power that it was power over death itself. Not even death could keep him in the grave because he walked the way that his Father he did everything that his father did. He was his father on this earth. So number four, holiness is allowing ourselves to be consumed daily in the refiner's fire. That's the part that's hard. Because you, who knows the refiner's fire is, that's the ouch, right? To be able to get on our face and say, refine me, God. To be able to get on our face, there's a, there's a song out right now that we've been singing a lot in our church that's been absolutely phenomenal. And it's, that's kind of what's rocked me inside. And it's... Um, New wine. Have you guys heard that song? In the pressing and the crushing. So back in December, I began to pray and ask God to press me and to crush me. I said, crush everything out of me. Just make a new wine come out of me. I want something new. And I was telling a friend of mine that. And she's like, what? She's like, I wouldn't pray that. And I was like, why not? Yeah, it hurts, but why not? You know, so yes, God, take me through that refiner's fire. Do what you have to do to get me to where you need me to be. It's going to hurt, and you're going to face a lot of trials, but what does Peter say? He says, take joy in the suffering. Take joy in the trials, because on the other side, that's where you're going to find holiness, and you're going to find his glory, is to take joy in that. And we're going to end it there, because they're ready to baptize some people. So I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really cool that we were talking about the refiner's fire at the very end and you're baptizing people today. Because coming into that, guys, who all is getting baptized? Awesome. All right, so coming into that, what are you doing whenever you get baptized?
You're, you're laying down the old man and you're coming out new. And it's a, it's a declaration to all of you that you can now hold them accountable in the body of Christ. So when you see him doing things wrong, you can say, you may be in the refiner's fire, honey, but let's get through this. And so don't expect it to be all fun and games when it's done. Let the fire happen and let God move. I'm going to pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at RadianceMacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.